Welcome back to Coaching Kernan. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kernan, also by our professional baseball scout, veteran of professional baseball for well over 45 years, Will George, and our resident expert on performance, Sal Marinello. Guys, welcome back to the show. It's episode 43. We're looking at September 19th, 2022, and we've had a shift in programming today, moved our panel of resident experts to Monday, Real Voices of the Game tomorrow to accommodate our guest. Welcome back to the show. Great to be back. Yep. Good way to start the week. Good show on Friday, Sal, too. Thank you. Loved it. Had Had a good time with that. As our audience knows, we've expanded our programming to obviously be gone. It's on Wednesdays now. We have Man on Second. Is on Fridays, we have a day at the yard, common sense pitching with our own Will George and Mark Wiley on Thursdays. We've added our, our most recent one, hot, the Hot Corner with Coach Sal, uh, which is going to be a pop-up podcast. Try, try to do it at the end of the week, close to the weekend. Um, but a great, great set of programs for our audience to sink their teeth into, and all are being received very well right now. We thank you for your feedback. Uh, Kevin, I always start with you here with our with our resident experts and to kind of let the audience know and us know what, what, what caught your eye this week. Well, first of all, with the pop-up podcast, it's it's just the perfect amount of sal. It's not too much, not too little. So it's almost like it's like the, you know, it's like the three bears. So it's it's pretty good. I love it. Thanks, and, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep sal on his toes. That's what I try to do. That's true. Yeah, but uh, yeah, well, there's, you know, there's always so much catches my eye. But uh, you know, everybody's looking at the game, and uh, and Will had a great point today about September baseball being. Uh, Good, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, uh, you certainly know there's a lot of ugly, there's a lot of good, and there's some bad. And uh, before I turn it over to Will to explain more deeply, you know, I, I just want to say young players, we're trying to get to the young players. Please pay attention to your mental approach to the game. And I'll start with that because, uh, you know, to me, the worst thing I saw this week, and there was so much. Um, but, you know, the, the continuing nonsense of framing, pitch framing, and also the continuing nonsense of the Pittsburgh Pirates, who, by the way, have a negative two, 214 run differential, total embarrassment. And even their good players aren't paying attention now. There was a great segment from Todd Zeal where he showed uh, Brian Hayes uh, basically on a play where Escobar is scoring from first on a, on a hit-and-run single to right. And, of course, this was like a couple days or a day after Clemente Day. And I was thinking of right fielders like Clemente for Pittsburgh. And, and their right fielder made a, a terrible throw halfway up the line, wasn't even close. So Escobar never stopped, went all the way around and scored. And, and there is Hayes, glove off picking sunflower seeds with his glove hand out of his back pocket and shoveling him into his mouth as the play, as Escobar is in the picture, right there running around. So as much as uh, we see things on the youth league level, you know, pay attention to the play. You have something to do every play. And that's, uh, to me, that's, you know, he's the son of a major leaguer too. So he got caught. Will there be any ramifications? Um not with the Pirates. They don't do any ramifications. They're a clown show. They got rid of all the good coaches a couple of years ago in the minor leagues. And uh, But that's hopefully that will be a wake-up call for uh, young players. And now I'm going to go right to Will. Yeah, my, uh, just an observation, and you've seen it for years. Um, 
September baseball can be extremely exciting, and that certainly is the good when you have pennant races and you got teams that are grinding it out to the end and trying to finishing finish up strong. Um, you know, the sad thing is is in this day and age, the money these guys are making, uh, the bad can be really bad. You have guys who have basically cashed the season in. They have their bags packed. They have their golf clubs ready to go, and they're ready to just leave. And that's the way they go out and play every day, and that's why you see the level of poor play. And, you know, some of the ugly comes into play with that, and some of the ugly is, you know, young prospects that called up, get called up to the big leagues that aren't ready to play in the big leagues. And they're playing against one of the good teams that are trying to get into the playoffs. And it can be extremely embarrassing when you see guys throw 10 or 11 straight balls or they can't throw a strike, they can't uh, execute uh, cutoffs and relays, they get overmatched at the plate. Um, I think somebody tweeted you a picture of uh, – the, the young kid that was in the big leagues and uh, his batting average was zero, zero, zero. He had no hits, no, no nothing. Yeah, man. On the scoreboard, they had a picture of him with his exit velocity of two of his last six balls hit, which is a joke. I, I, it's, it's not good. And, and one real quick, obviously to me, the, the good leading to, and we'll talk about him later, but I just want to get it out there. Uh, you know, Aaron Judge continues to be good, and not only his spectacular, unbelievable year, but the way he plays the game. I mean, uh, keep it simple, kids. Just play like Judge. Well, yeah, him and, and watching uh, the excitement of, of Atlanta um, taking care of business this weekend against the Phillies. Uh, they went out and they pitched well. They came back and won a game. They, they, they just played really good baseball. So that – that National League East race is going to be exciting. It's going to be real exciting. And, you know, uh, there's there's still not a lot of excitement left because everything's kind of cashed in. But at least there is going to be some excitement because Milwaukee got back into the race because San Diego and Philly have been a little bit inconsistent this past week. Yeah, and you pull foul into the conversation uh you know, we're also seeing, and this is very important, and Willie, you've mentioned this before, but uh, we're seeing some players who are really out of shape come September. Yeah, yeah. Sal, why is that? Well, you know, it's, it's you know, um, I remember we talked about the quote from one of the guests, baseball was it, uh, uh, baseball was made to be played every day, and you have these guys that are not conditioned to play every day it's it's no more simple than that you you wear down i mean guys wear down and it's it's the bad diet it's being fat it's not running properly it's all those things how do how, now i know doing the day-to-day sal is important but what would your recommendation be to you know a, a young guy coming up into the bigs next year not used to the 162 day grind what would your advice be if you had his ear to, to, to teach him to be one of those guys that we're not talking about being out of shape in September. Well, it's, it's at this point, what you're talking about, you know, I, I don't know, Will, Will could speak better to it, but what I've seen in other sports, the talent level at the top level is all pretty consistent. Even from the kids that don't make it, uh, there's not much of a difference between the kids that don't and the kids that do on a talent basis. What I see is, is, the, is the work ethic, um, is the things that are off the field. It's how do you sleep? 
It's are you not partying? Are you not drinking uh, to excess? And are you eating properly? The recovery aspect at the highest level is more important than the skill aspect. And once you stop um, recovering or if you're not recovering properly, your skill level is going to suffer because you're just not going to be able to keep it up. I like that. You always, you always say you can't you can't work yourself out of a bad diet or bad sleep habits. That's, that's yeah, you a- can't outrun a bad diet. That's the that's the best way to put it. Go ahead, Will. No, you know, and, and that's, you know, for years – Teams took batting practice and infield every day. And if you go out and take batting practice and run the bases hard and uh, work on your leads and breaks and reading balls the way you're supposed to, and if you take a a vigorous infield and you take uh, uh, balls off the bat for a group and you take ground balls and fly balls, um, first of all, you're going to keep in good baseball shape. You're going to have, you know, you're going to have a live, live body, baseball body. And those players for years, most, most of the players had trouble keeping their weight on. They would lose weight as the season went on. Um, So, you know, they had to make sure that they did eat right. And then as far as sleeping at night, if you work hard and you play through the summer, you sleep every night. You sleep really good. You know, um, players... You know, you don't have to worry about that. You know, travel days are tough or whatever. But, you know, I just think if players did more on the field and less time in the weight room and time sitting and watching videos and um, eating food in the clubhouse and eating food in the dugout during the game, that we would have players who would be in better shape and we'd have less injuries than we have now. Yeah, two points on that too, uh, Will, and I'm going to bring in the Yankees here because I see it. Um, when do they have problems? They have problems. They went into their funk. Of course, when injuries happen, that always sets it off. But they usually have problems when they go to the West Coast and then they come back. They play a lot of games in a row. They obviously get tired. I mean, that's a big part of their issue. And um, that's why it's so important for them to win the division so they get that rest going into the playoffs. The second point I want to make with the Yankees is I had the conversation with Aaron Judge, uh, you know, probably 2018, maybe 17, about you're already a monster. You're 6'7", 280 pounds, 260, depending where you are. Why why waste your time in the, in the weight room? You know, you're strong already. Get Get more athletic, you know, stretch, do these things. And lo and behold... What is uh, Judge doing now? And he's starting to talk about it a little bit. He's changed his habit. He's not living in the weight room. Um, and, and he's so obviously he's recovering because he's not tearing up his muscles with the weight room. And again, he's different. I get it because he's so strong and, and, and bigger than your average player. But two other things. He's, he, he's taking better care of himself from a baseball standpoint. Not that he didn't before, but he's actually – not overworking. He's not taking too many swings. That's another important fact. You take too many swings, all of a sudden you get in a bad habit, and that swing is grooved. That bad swing is grooved. Huge mistake for young players. You know, take good swings, not a number of swings. And and the other thing uh, Judge does is getting to the swing is he doesn't overswing. You don't have to overswing. That barrel, first of all, on all these bats, now the barrel is is so strong. 
so you know it's it's a it's a brick wall barrel okay so if you if that's why McNeil could just flick balls the other way and they go deep to uh, left center or whatever same thing with judge he's 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 uh, taking what they give him on the outside pitches and and because he's so strong he can knock it the other way but he's not overswinging so the combination of not overworking not overswinging makes you a better September ball player Great. Will or Sal, go ahead. Go ahead, Sal. Well, I just was going to touch on what uh, Will said. The pace of play is what dictates conditioning. Once you get into the season or actually uh, it, it, not getting technical about where you are in your in your uh, phase of training, but a lot of field sports, you know, I know, again, I this is a opposite of, of, of baseball, but lacrosse has fall sport, uh, fall uh, training for them is like spring football. And they do very little conditioning, but their pace is extremely high. So their drills, everything is full speed. Um, And that's what gets them going. You know, you could prepare all you want conditioning, but if you're not practicing at the pace you play, then you're never going to be in proper shape. And that goes back to our discussion of, you know, even the slow running in the outfield that you would see in baseball, you might as well not do it because it's not helping you. You've got to run hard from home to first, home to second, home to third, and other, you know, variations of that. Well, I've got a question for you. I know you wanted, you wanted to weigh in okay. on it. As a, as a former college player and professional player, I always got my burst of conditioning during my ground ball workouts, you know, pregame or pre-practice, my batting practice. Um, and we talked before about long toss, how, you know, and, and I believe your shoulders, your shoulder and everybody's different. But for me, I like to time mine. So it was more like a sprint. I spent a minute at 60 feet, then I'd go to 90, but it was always time. So I knew I was pressured to get into that good throwing motion a little bit more quickly, like Sal said, in more of a game-like fashion, mentally and physically, and wanted to make sure that I had a little sweat going on before, um, before and after those, those certain things. Two questions for you. Are we not seeing that now out there in terms of that type of approach? And, and, and if we are, I mean, who are some of the good guys that these kids can emulate? You, you really don't see that, you know, and I, I always, I'm, I'm sure everybody's tired of listening to me talk about Cal Ripken, but Cal would take 100 ground balls every day. He'd take uh, Ray Adam to his left, to his right, and then the last, it was, you know, the, the, the guy that hit the fungos to him would just mix it up. Adam, slow, slow roller up the middle, uh, in the hole, whatever. But, you know, guys, guys don't do that. And like you said, sweat. Half the time I see guys get done batting practice now and it's hot out and they're barely sweating. Guys used to come off the field drenched because they actually did work hard. And, you know, you know one of the things, you know, we didn't have any Harvard-educated strength and conditioning coaches, trainers. We didn't have uh, all the geniuses of the world, but we had veterans who had been through the war. And they taught us to, to know your body, know when you need rest. Uh, Alan Yeager talked about it. Your arm tells you when you're tired. You know, I was taught to be my own best pitching coach. Guys were taught to be your own best hitting coach. Take responsibility for yourself. But get yourself ready, keep your body in good shape, and be ready to play every day. That's hard to get used to doing because guys go from high school and college where you play two or three or four or five games a week at the most, to now all of a sudden you're playing every day and you're traveling. 
um, you got to get used to that. So your body does have to get rest. You have to get stronger, but you have to know a day where, hey, you know what? I'm only going to take 25 or 30 ground balls today. I'm going to take some off the bat and I'm feeling a little bit tired. And like Kevin said, you, you, you know, you know, go in the cage, get into your rhythm or, you know, whatever, if you're struggling. But, you know, I've also seen guys that, that hit themselves into slumps because they become arm weary and hand weary from taking too many swings. Those are things you have to learn. And let me interject too. I won't mention the player, but uh, I also see some players who don't work hard enough and some are getting paid big time money. And so there's a fine line there. You, you have to make sure you work hard enough to be ready to get better. And you also have to not overdo it. So we're, make, make it clear here. We're not saying take Oh, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> let me make that clear. I'm not advocating to work less. I'm yes. advocating to learn your body and go out and work hard on the field every day. But if you do start to feel yourself getting tired, know when you need to not shut it down but just not push yourself as much. I mean, you know, we took batting practice on the field every day unless we got rained out. I mean, you know, you know, you talk about a 140-game schedule from April 10th to August 31st when I was playing in the minor leagues. We took BP and infield every day. You know, you know guys, you know, even after we clinched, you know, clinched the first half championship. We thought we'd get a day off. We didn't, we, you know, because that's what you did. You know, uh, the more you were on the field, the better you become at being on the field. Yeah, that's a great point. Also, the uh, with the showcase thing, we want to interject as well. Play games, but don't play too many games. Practice. Make sure you have practice in there as much as, as – uh, and if your coach is one of these coaches that's in there for the glory – and wants to get that ring from the weekend tournament, practice yourself. You can always go out and practice with friends, and uh, it doesn't take much to get better. There's so many ways to get better if you take responsibility for yourself, and um, that, that that's one of the most important things I see. Uh, and, I, and uh, you know, Judge, again, Judge is the perfect example of that. We see with some other players, too. Um, and I think Will made a good point, too, about the veteran player, but unfortunately now – uh, the veteran players aren't top step listened to as much as in the past. And, and another voice that's been lost in the game is that veteran coach who, who had been through the wars through decades. And that coach now has basically had a muzzle put on him by the nerds because you can't say things. And that's why you see so many mistakes on the field. And a player who made the mistake just come in, walk in and look at his iPad without a coach saying a word to him. It's a lack of leadership is what it is. You yeah. know, we talk about it, you know, where's the true leaders in the game? The guys who walked into the clubhouse were a presence. They cared about every player on the team. You know, they, 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 they wanted to mentor the young player that was talented. They wanted to teach him how to play the game. So, um, you know, you just hope that it, that it, uh, that it happens and, uh, and that guys can, you know, we can start developing leaders. But if you don't have managers that are leaders to teach the veteran players how to be leaders, there's nobody teaching any of that anymore because everything's so individual. We uh, we got into a little back and forth with our with one of our uh, 
hosts on our Wednesday show, Jeff Fry, had called out some of that lack of discipline, lack of leadership. And, you know, for me, and I can ask Kevin, you've, you've been in the trenches and Will, you're, you're, you're still right, right around it and been in the dugout. There's a, there's a fear of confrontation with these players and I can't figure it out why. And the point I made to Jeff, we went back and forth in a good way uh, with, with somebody we were trying to call out is that as a coach, as a leader, I don't care where you're at, baseball field, office, your job is to create a culture. And, and by a culture, I mean, you know, you have to create a bar. Um, and your job as a leader is to never let that bar drop, whether it's behavior or skill set or the way you approach a day like we're talking about right now. And I see too, too often right now that these, uh, these coaches and even parents are allowing the bar drop anywhere from grassroots eight-year-old baseball to we saw it in the USA baseball with some of the antics there and, and then uh, professional baseball. I mean, from your guys' perspective, you've been in and around it, in the middle of it, talk to some of the greats. What, what are we? Is that am I seeing the right thing? Or if you're a confrontation by those, you know that those are great points you and Jeff make on that. You know, uh, think about the viral video we all saw of Jim Leland and Barry Bonds in spring training. Uh, you'll never see that now. You know, but Jim Leland had no fear because he knew as the leader of that team that if his superstar player played the game the right way, everybody else was going to play the game the right way. And to this day, they're friends. You know, Bonds never harbored any animosity towards him. You know, it was a disagreement. He, he tried to make his point, and Leland wasn't going to let him make any point other than, you know what, you're not going to do that on this field. And there were a lot of – a lot of yelling and screaming and a lot of words that, you know, you don't want to repeat uh, uh, out there. But you know what? That That's that's leadership. And we've gotten so far away from that. You know, um, you know, when you discipline someone, you care about them. You're trying to make them better. Yeah. And, 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 and we've just lost that for some reason. And it's it's not good. And that's why we suffer. You know, you talk about the inmates are running the asylum. Yeah, I want to make two points off of that. The second will be for Sal, because um, he's directly coaching still. So I think well, I want to get that point in there. But the, the, the first point I want to make is that I had a recent conversation with Jack McKeon, and, and I knew this for a fact. I wrote his book and everything, but Pudge Rodriguez's name came up. And Jack, early on in his tenure in, in uh, with the Marlins when they won the world championship and beat the Yankees, I think in six games um, in 2003, um, he had to call out Pudge Rodriguez, who at that point was just a you know superstar catcher. And he called him out in front of the whole team. He disciplined him. And I think he sat him down for a game or two. And you know what? From that point on, Pudge was incredible. And I actually saw the note that Pudge wrote to Jack, a letter, a wonderful letter from Pudge Rodriguez to Jack McKean saying, you know, you brought out the best of me and I'll remember that and appreciate that the rest of my life. And we always have the ring, blah, blah, blah. So there's ways to do this without, um, you know, losing the player. Now, for for Sal, my question is, as a coach, because he has to, you know, he's training these athletes. If you got guys, and, and it'd be crazy to me that they're not paying attention because, you, you know, you're getting paid by them. So I would think they'd be on their best behavior. But when you run into that occasional guy who doesn't work hard enough, how do you get more out of them? 
I think Sal may have lost connection for a second here, and um, maybe, no, maybe Will, Will and I can, uh, can just uh, you, know, you know to build on what Kevin's saying. There's stories all over baseball of those things that you just talked about, and there is never any ill will towards any of those managers because in the end, if it makes the player better, makes the team better, and they do something special, that's that. Those are the things that we all do this for. I mean, you know, we all played this game to walk off at the end, you know, and go, you know, go spray champagne and win a championship every year. That's what, you know, you know, those are the most joyous moments in your life other than getting married and having your kids for, for, for me. I, I think too, Kevin, on that, I, I believe wholeheartedly and, you know, I've, I spent 20 plus years at the college level as a coach, and now I'm spending more of my time on the peripheral, but I've sunk my teeth into the grassroots. And I believe kids crave discipline right now, and it's gotten such a bad word. And I think the key is, uh, you know, two things is you demand, but you don't demean, and you stay consistent with it. Um, and I always tell the kid, I'm not, I'm old fashioned, and I probably get away with saying and doing things that some, somebody else wouldn't get away with with the kids. And I think the key thing is, is they, they know that I care about them and that I'm willing to challenge the parents and I'm willing to engage the parents in the fact that I'm dealing with this problem. I only have your son or your daughter six to eight hours a week. You have them for the, the other 152 hours, 156 hours. So you need to be either reinforcing this or taking the lead in this. If you want me to take the lead for six, eight hours a week, it's going to be a long time because it's all reps on behavior. But if you can reinforce this on the way home, and I find kids, once they get used to it, they realize it's not that I hate them. It's because I, I believe that they're not reaching that bar I talked about earlier. And my message is real clear. When I'm on you, it's because I love you and I care about you. When I, when I, when I stop talking to you, I've lost interest. And that's the problem you should be worried about. Those are great points, Dave. You know, we have... You know, there's a, a saying, you know, when you're genuine and you truly care about your players, it comes across to them. Uh, I think people now uh, have this elitist attitude that they're smarter and the players are stupid. Um, they read through BS. And, and, and to me, that's why someone like Buck Showalter has so much success. Everything that he says and does is genuine. It's, it's truly because he knows it's the best for that, that player, that team, for them to reach their pinnacle that they want to all reach. And that's why he's always been successful everywhere that he goes. Is this, is this, is, you know, I guess I'm asking a loaded question, but this is obviously missing in our game all the way around for the most badly, part. Very badly. Why? I, I, I don't know why, because, because uh, you know, the game is turned over with younger people who grew up in a, a, a thing where, you know, you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Everybody gets a trophy. Um, you know, you, 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 you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. You know, you never want to, uh, you never want to demean a player. You never want to hurt somebody's feelings. I guess, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I can remember somebody telling me one time that the manager yelled at him and I went, oh, okay. You know, I got yelled at too. I mean, everybody gets yelled at. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, 
I'm just saying too, but if it comes from upstairs where these guys are afraid to, to, um, you know, afraid to uh, discipline, then, then, then you have a bad situation. It's very clear. Well, it it, it and, and, took care of discipline early on when Marte made a dumb play and tried to steal a base in the wrong situation. And Marte listened to his credit and is, and is having a good year for the Mets. Um, all the guys in first place, they have the talent, but they also get the most out of them. And uh, Davey Lopes, you know, um, Davey Lopes, I'm sorry, Dave Roberts, um, um, and, and and Dusty Baker, uh, they they just they demand that respect and they get it back. And uh, the the younger, you know, things that bother me. I want I want to say something that bothers me when I watch. And I've had some umpires tell me this. They really get a little tired of uh, Aaron Boone's act, where he just bullies appears to be bullying the young umpires. Right. I mean, he's he's defending his players. I get it, but sometimes you gotta. You can't overdo that, so that's very important too for for people to understand. You know, there's a time you can tell your player, "Hey, go watch the video. It was a strike." Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> or, um, but you know, you know, the other big issue in the game, and you know, the players make so much money. Um, their agents have unbelievable power over front offices and people. Uh, because of where the game has gone. So if you do anger a superstar and his agent and him can turn your clubhouse into a cesspool. Well, that's what you see that. You see that with teams, good teams don't, maybe teams with talent don't get to where they want to get. Unfortunately, that's that at the big league level, that is a dynamic that has eroded over the years. I mean, I can remember when I first started coaching, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, his agent called. Yeah, I'll call him back next week. Yeah, I, you know, I know now we call him right back and, oh, yeah, you know, you know, I'll talk to the manager. Why? You know, I, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I've had conversations with farm directors. Well, they've made comments that you know, you know, it's a different, it's a different world. It's it's a, I, I go it, as long as we have that attitude that we we can't control our players' player development for their good and teach them how genuinely we're we're trying to help them become big leaguers, then we're going to suffer. And I made I made that comment to a farm director seven or eight years ago, and I think I. I'm kind of looking like Nostradamus on this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is, this is trickling further down uh, in the grassroots area of baseball too. You're seeing it with the habits are being built. The young kids, if they're, they don't have agents, but their parents act as agents. Yeah. If they're not playing a certain position or wearing a certain number or the coach gets on them. Um, and I'm not saying it's all on the fault of the program. It's, or the parent, but they'll yank a kid and that kid will play on, you know, three, four, five different teams. And it's usually that perpetual problem of my players not being, my, my son's not being utilized to their, you know, to their fullest potential. And I think, again, I go back to social media with it, with, uh, with Jeff and I going back and forth where a, a mom mentioned that was blasting it on social media about my eight year old son. I don't feel like he's being used to his fullest potential. And I about, 
ended my social media account after that. And we felt compelled to respond to say to her, if you are concerned about your son's potential in anything, learn the topic so that you can be the first educator in your son's life. Or if you can't do that, then rely on somebody else and just sit there and clap. Tuck them in at night, make sure they have food. That's it. Um, these parents are way too over-involved and they're not, you know, again, not agents, but these kids are getting in the habit of if things don't go their way, they go right to whoever's, you know, they know, they know who to talk to and what to say to get a reaction. And that sounds like what you're saying, Will, with the agents. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you're right, Dave. You know, I saw it when my son was in high school, some talented kids who were underperforming that didn't work hard, who went to a different travel ball program every year because it was always the travel ball program's fault. And, and it wasn't his fault and his lack of work ethic and his lack of actually caring, but it was mom and dad that cared more because they thought he was going to get a scholarship someday. And it ended up not happening. So it's just, it's, it's just not a good place. I, you know, the, 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 you know, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but it's not a good place. And I think that's why we're all, we all care so much and we're trying to change the attitude and educate people how important it is to do the right things, to uh, not take personal when a coach, you know, reprimands you or, you know, sit you down or whatever that, that, you know, they're trying to make you better. And, and that's where we have to get to. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah. I think the solution is simple. I think the solution, you know, we, we can talk this to death, but the solution is the kids need to get away from the parents and the, and the coaches so much. I really believe this. I think they need to go out and play stickball. Yeah. <laughs> it's the easiest way yeah. to solve this. That let them go play with their friends. Let them go play stickball. Let them see that it's not easy to be an umpire. Let them see that they're responsible for their own problems if they strike out or if they make an error. We don't do that anymore. There's too much team ball, not enough stickball. And and you, I, I don't want to. I want to make this clear. I don't think wiffle ball. Wiffle ball is fine to get those swings in. And I know Jeff Fry. You know, that's what Jeff did when he was a kid, and we all did it as a kid. But I, I say stickball is more of an answer simply because your friend is pitching, you're hitting, there's no parents, there's no umpire. It's all you two guys just playing one-on-one, and you got to figure it out. And the lack of stickball – and when I, when I say stickball, I'm not talking about the conventional New York City throw it over a sewer stickball. I'm talking about – a real bat and maybe those real rubber balls that kind of mimic a baseball and you go to a school and you pitch, you know, and you pitch there or, or someplace that has a wall and you put a little, yeah, there's a little uh, box on the wall and that's how you, uh, that's how you play the game. So I, I want to make it simple. That's, that's, I think that's the whole key of our podcast, making life simple. So more stick ball, uh, less, less time on the video games, and more stickball, and then you go to your games, and all of a sudden you'll be a better player. Yeah. No, that's – that's. Uh, I think we all did, did that game on the podcast, and I, I don't see it out there. I share a lot where we do that Wednesday uh, Sandlot Day, and, and I love it because the kids are solving problems. They're 
they're creating batting orders. They're, they're having to call out defenses and communicate about bunts. And I, I think two things that I've seen in doing that to kind of expound upon your great point, Kevin, is I've seen kids have to learn how to communicate without their devices. They actually have to use words. And a lot of the teaching that I get to do afterwards is about how to communicate. I see that's lost. And then the second thing is um, my talk the other day with them was about selflessness. And I, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of this, you know, the reason is everyone's caught in their own little world. Selflessness, I, I pointed out to the kids were and the parents is that it's about giving up something of yourself for the betterment of the team. But it's not always the thing that you want to give up. It has to be the thing that the team needs. And that's the, that's a problem I think kids are having differentiating. Oh, I'm giving up my cell phone, you know, whatever. I, I gave up my number, you know, eight. And I let somebody else work. That's nice and everything, but that's not what the team needed. They needed somebody else to, you know, play the outfield or, you know, they needed a guy to hit the cutoff. You know, something that you're giving up. You don't need to show off your arm every time. Hit the cutoff, man. So I think that's a key component with selflessness. It's uh, it's uh, well, it can start by cleaning out the dugout. There's nothing that pisses yeah. me off more. Oh, it's horrible. And, and you know what? Here's here's one of my favorite things I saw this year. Um, parents, overbearing parents have bring lunch for the kids it's maybe they're in a tournament and you see if they have a pizza party off to the side and then you see when they leave there's bottles there's everything and, and in, in the really bad cases the parents don't even clean it up but you'll see the parents cleaning it up so so again we you know i know we can't go time travel back in time but my summer days consisted of going to the park playing against all my friends in a game and getting better that way. Uh, we're not going to get there again, but you can certainly get there to in little pieces. And that means by playing better, uh, being responsible, cleaning up your dugout, and um, and just you know, being a better citizen. Are there are there any models we can look at? Let's say in professional baseball, where and again, I hate to go back to my catchphrases, but uh, culture to me trumps strategy every time. And I think we're talking a lot about culture. Here. Are there teams right now that are out there that at least do it in small pockets that kids can look at and say, okay, or coaches or whoever and say, this is how I want to be. This is how yeah, we should. You know, you, you know, they're and they're perennially in the playoffs every year. You know, the Yankees uh, or, you know, they spend money, but they, you know, you tip your hat that they are very competitive every year and that they are doing some things right. And the, Certainly the Mets now with Showalter there, the, the, the Braves. Look at, you know, Snicker and his staff, you know, you go watch them work. Ron Washington's working with infielders. Guys are getting better. You know, they have an extreme veteran staff. Uh, Dave Roberts and his staff do a good job out with the Dodgers, and every year they are good. You know, they're, they're, they're a good baseball team. Yeah, and they have money to go get players, but they still you have to go out and play the game the right way, and they do. Yeah, and there's um, a lot of luck involved, too. I mean, the Yankees are so lucky that they have Aaron Judge. Yeah. He carried him across the finish line this year. Um, obviously, what he did, he sets a tone in that clubhouse um, and in the dugout. And I'll tell you what, you give me $250 million, If I can't make the playoffs and the water-down playoffs, then, yeah. then that's horrible. So I'm not ready to you know, give and, 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 and I will say that the tradition of the Cardinals and the fact that I, I think I heard a tidbit the other day, 29 straight years, not right. finishing under 500 or something. I mean, 
Well, they haven't had back-to-back losing seasons. Yeah, that's what it was forever. in 29 years. That's Might right. even be longer. And But, again, I think we get back to the players here. This is players. Yeah. Molina setting Well, there's, there's you, Wainwright, setting Wainwright and Molina. Arenado setting a tone by being a leader. On, you know, he may be sometimes a little in his own world, but he's on the field. My gosh, nobody. Oh, and and, and Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt leads by example every day. He comes out, he works his ass off and plays hard. And, you know, when you watch that, and if you're a young guy, are you going to not work work hard? Are you not going to take ground balls? Are you not going to run a ball out hard when you see Paul Goldschmidt do it every time? And we're seeing it a little bit this year with the Padres. I think Machado has finally gotten to the point where he's had enough and he's trying to be that leader. He, if you remember, he took on Tatis last year. Yeah. And again, when you're being a leader, sometimes you have to overcome the nerd in the, who's running the team who brings in people who aren't a good right. fit. When I saw that last year, I knew it going in because I had heard stories about Tatis in the minor leagues that really uh, irritated me. But when I saw Machado, who I know quite well, call him out. And Machado's good friends with A-Rod. I first met him with A-Rod in Dominican Republic before anybody knew who Manny really was and um, at an event. And um, Machado now, he's gotten to the point where, okay, I'm going to try to take this team on my back. And, and uh, that's why they're making a good run. I think, um, I think uh, it's going to be a real test this year for me because I think uh, uh, Melvin called them out the other day. But it's going to be a real test for the Padres to see how they do if they survive and make it to the playoffs, guys like you, Darvish, who have never stepped up in the playoffs, are going to have to step yeah. up. So, so that's another aspect of this. You have to step up your game sometimes to help the team and to be selfless. It's not just putting down a bunt, putting in a position where you don't really you're not happy playing. But it's, sometimes it's like, okay, let me get the best out of me as a player. Right. I like that. And as being a leader, just for kind of the kids out there. You have to make a decision. Do you want to be popular or do you want to be respected? And sometimes being a leader isn't popular in the moment. But at the end, I think everybody wishes that they could be that person and have that type of you know conviction, that courage. And really, and, and I believe it goes back to what we started in the beginning. When you go to work every day and you do your job and you do your work, that's one part of leadership. And I know people always say I'm a leader by example. I kind of don't buy into that totally. I think you have to be both. I think you have to be the hardest worker. If you're the best player. You have a responsibility to be the hardest worker, but you also have to be able to open your mouth and you don't have to be loud or demonstrative. You have to be able to speak your mind and, and add to that work ethic, that visual that everybody's getting with some something coming out of your mouth to direct traffic. And one other point on the amateur level, if you're a coach and maybe you think you should be the head coach and you don't like the head coach, and but you're just coaching to be there because your son's on the team, you know what? Put that in your back pocket. You know, you can't be self, self, uh, selfish either. So if you're a coach, do everything you can possibly be to help that head coach. And if that means, you know, being more boisterous, coaching first base or, or uh, paying more attention or doing little things like now. I know a lot of times now in these uh, tournaments and stuff, they have these game changer things. And you see the head coach, he's – He's not only trying to keep tabs on his team, but he's doing the game changer updates. He's doing this. He's doing that. And some of the assistants are just standing around. You know what? Step up, too, as a coach and step up as a parent as well. And, and, and there's a lot of ways you can help your teams get better. 
Yeah, no, totally agree. I got one one quick question for you guys, and I, I think it's uh, we've, we've held our audience here for about almost 45 minutes, but I know you commented on, on Twitter, and I thought it was too big a deal not to bring up, but Gary Sanchez, I, I loved him as a player. I hoped for his development. We saw that that past ball, I think it was, where a guy took two bases, the one knee stuff. I'm convinced now, and I want your guys' opinion on this. In the beginning, I thought the people who were dictating this were the dumb ones. But I'm convinced now that they think we're stupid because they keep putting this out there and they keep cramming it down our throats and it gets no results. Um, any thoughts on on the one knee stuff? I know we beat it to death, but... Um, well, they, the, the, the young writer from Baseball America said, pass balls are down. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, again, pass balls are down is because every ball that hits the dirt that used to be blocked is now a pass ball because it hit the dirt. A wild pitch. Because, a wild pitch. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's right. A wild pitch because somebody's trying to frame a ball from off of the ground up into the strike zone instead of blocking it. So it's – Well, that's – you know, that, that, that's, there's been a change in official scores too. And I love official scores. I always talked to them when I was there. And these guys put their heart and soul into it for a little bit of money. But they've really, they've really fallen for the, uh, the 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 nerd line that everything that in, is in the dirt is a wild pitch. There's so many wild pitches that should be past balls, and yeah. and 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 if you started doing that, then maybe people would say, "Geez, why are we giving up so many past balls? We're giving up so many past balls because we have the catcher completely out of position." I'll tell you what. Here, let's keep it simple. Again, this is what gets me in trouble with a lot of people because I keep it simple. And they can't, they can't, def- how would you do, what would you like if your shortstop now started catching, starting the inning with his knee down? Because, you know, we really want to, we really want to make sure we get that ball. That's, we position him so well, we want to make sure he, he's got his knee down and he's going right. to really make that play. That's how stupid right. framing is. It's the most, it's the stupidest thing to ever come into the game. And every nerd is in charge of that. People are not calling it out. Managers are gutless. Coaches are gutless. It's and what what they created, Gary Sanchez, the monster that is Gary Sanchez, the catcher. Now they created Gary Sanchez is not as um, as fluid as he used to be. And what do they do? They stick him on one knee now, and now he has no chance. He has to swat for the ball with his glove. And if you're a Minnesota Twins fan, are you kidding me? You're, you're paying whatever you're paying him. I don't. What's he getting? Like nine million? I I don't even know off the top of my head, but. You, you, you just it's a mockery of the game and for all these young writers and these uh, um, these guys that do data analysts uh, it, it's a joke it's a joke and uh, catching has never been worse and all you gotta do is again when these things happen I hear from about five former catchers every time and, and it infuriates them but even they, they're getting to the point now where it's too much and they're kind of giving up the fight. You know, uh, I saw Sanchez in Tampa in A-ball, and um, they were playing a home-and-home series with uh, Clearwater. They played three games at home, three in Clearwater. So first three games, he threw out three runners at 175 to 179 on the bag. Uh, He had a – Close to an 80 arm. Uh, he had quick feet and good release. And um, so the next day I got to the ballpark early in Clearwater and there's a half field down the third base side where you pick up your tickets and they're 
organizational catching coach was working on changing him. <laughs> After I watched him throw out three guys under one eight on the bag, um, and he was working with him. He threw four balls in a row into center field. And I don't think I've ever seen him catch as well as I did before that day. And I don't know who the catching coach was, but I do know that I said to somebody else, I said, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. You well, know, when you see somebody do that, you just let it play. And, 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 but they didn't let it play. They tweaked it. They, uh, and then he got to the big leagues and he gained some weight and he got a little bit lazy and people got fired because they, because they wanted to coach him. What we just talked about earlier, you know, that's why Tony Pena got let go and Joe Girardi got let go. People like that because they said, no, no, we can't let him do that. Oh, no, you can't yell at Gary. And well, now, like I always said, the only problem with uh, and I'm sure it wasn't Gary Tuck who knows more about catching than No, anybody. no, it wasn't Gary Tuck. And, it, was, uh, it was but, a young coach I don't know. Well, you know, you'll but see. I do think he's a big league coach now somewhere. Well, if you remember, they brought the coach in from Minnesota a couple of years ago who kind of – created this uh, one niece or embraced yeah. it, I should say. Yeah. And then um, and they brought him over to the Yankees to fix Gary, and we saw how that went. So, again, half the problem, and this is a whole subject for another, another show, and we will talk to scouts about this, but half the problem is these guys want to change people or they don't recognize their talents. And, yeah. and, and that's how you wind up with a Woodruff who nobody knew in the, in the – um, in, in the Milwaukee organization, except for one scout who pushed for it. So that's, those are the things that happen. Um, and again, because of the media having connections with the assistant GM and the GM and having the responsibility for trades and being on top of things, not much of the media is calling out the bad stuff. So that's, that's a shame too. Such is life too, right? We're going through that with our, our world today. I, I, I hear a lot, you know, the common thing in education is they talk a lot about learning disabilities. But what I'm hearing here, and I believe this wholeheartedly, I think there's some teaching disabilities out there. And yeah. uh, we brought it about today quite a bit. Guys, it's a great show. Um, we got deep dived into a couple, just a couple topics, but I think our audience walks away with a better baseball IQ today. We, we satisfied our mission and then some. Uh, we got a full week of programming this week. Tune in for that. This is episode 43, Animal Resident Experts. Guys, awesome show. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Take care. Have a good week.